1: I'm Sheila Shoiga, and this is Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to author and mother, Anne Tiernan.
2: I tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody who feels suicidal and it's a really dark place to go and like yeah. that's without even really understanding what they're going through um, but I uh, yeah because to try and imagine um, you know that feeling that the world would be better off without you or that the people yeah. you love would be better off without you because that's what they really believe you know mm-hmm. when I hear somebody saying to me oh suicide is so selfish I just think no it's the most selfless thing in the world like mum would have thought she was doing us a favour you know she would have thought she was doing everybody a favour like that's honestly how people feel
1: Anne is married to Matt and they have three kids Molly who's 17 Oscar who's 14 and Jack who's 13 and they've lived in New Zealand for the past 18 years Born in Zambia, she grew up in Navan from the age of three and is one of four kids. And one of her brothers happens to be well-known comedian and TV host, Tommy Tiernan. In this conversation, she talks about her childhood, her emotionally unavailable mother and the dramatic moment she found out that she had taken her own life. As you'd imagine, it's a challenging listen in parts. So please check the show notes before you listen. Anne is a beautiful person and she's just released her first book. It's a work of fiction called The Last Days of Joy. And I started our conversation by asking her about her brother Tommy who encouraged her to write the book in the first place.
2: I had an idea for the book. I had an image in my head and it was um, of a woman in a coma surrounded by her children, but I'd, I'd where to go with it. And I, I believed before I started to write that I would need a whole cast of characters and a whole plot laid out and um, and I was I was saying this to Tommy and he just said oh just sit down and see what happens Um, you know just start writing and so that's what I did and uh, yeah then 400 pages later (laughs) yes so yeah no he's good advice yeah no he's amazing he's um, an amazing brother and and an amazing person so I'm I'm very grateful to have him that's lovely yeah
1: is he the eldest?
2: He is. Yes. Yeah. So I'm second. Of four. Of four. Yes.
1: Um. So it's two girls, two boys. Isn't yes, that right? That's
2: right. Two girls in the middle, the two middle children, and then the,
1: the boys on either side. Yeah. And let's let's talk about your childhood because I know, like, from speaking to Tommy as well, there was a lot of moving around. So you started life in Zambia.
2: That's right. I feel like that's the most. Um, interesting part about my childhood, and I can't remember any of it. Yeah. So because
1: <laughs> you're only you're only three, wasn't when was it? I was only to three.
2: Yeah, but do you know the way when you see loads of photographs and you hear loads of memories? Yeah, um, you almost feel like you can remember, but I know that it's it's all false kind of memories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would love to remember, but you know, I love looking at photographs, and I've always said one day I'd go back there and. Um, you know, visit it, but hasn't happened yet. But, okay, not yet. Yeah, but all I can remember is probably the same kind of childhood we all had. You know, a provincial town and uh, going to convent school and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's not really that interesting. But
1: well, what's the age gap between between yourself and Tommy?
2: Twenty years. <laughs> Four years. Four yeah, years, okay. yeah, yeah. So
1: he probably does have memories of that time because he, he, he was a bit older, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, he does. And he, he remembers, you know, my mum, my dad was working out there. That's why we went there. He was, mm. he's an agronomist. And, um, but my mum taught him for a while out in Zambia as well. She taught as a teacher out in one of the schools. So he, he remembers that. And yeah, he remembers lots about it. Okay. Yeah.
1: So you've mentioned your mother a few times. I'd love to talk about her. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to talk about her. Uh, she was so complicated. She was complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. She, poor mom. Yeah, she. Um, she struggled with life. She struggled. She was an alcoholic. She was depressed. Now I don't know which came first. I often think with alcoholism and depression, the two of them are are pretty much inextricable from each other. Um, so she, yeah, I feel like she had a person who had a lot of potential. But that it just came to nothing. I think her own sadness um, just stopped her from fulfilling her full potential. Um, She was a very intelligent woman. Um, She read, you know, she was a voracious reader. She was really creative. She went to art school she had to leave early, though, because her dad died. Um, but you'd find lots of um, sketches that she had done around the house. You know, you'd open up the newspaper and there'd be, there'd be a sketch that she had done or you, you'd open up a book and she'd have done. And it was always the same. It was like these shadowy figures and trees and like these pencil kind of drawings. Um, I think she would a, a big well of love to give, but it was just one that we couldn't draw on. For, for whatever reason, it's um. It's almost like she was afraid to show love. You know, she was a very, and she found it easy to show love to other people. Right. Um, okay. Other kids. Uh, she was involved in the women's refuge in Avon. She um, herself and a group of women got together. They set up the women's forum. This would have been back in the eighties, and uh, from that came, the the Women's Refuge so when she was involved in that um, you know I could see that she was more fulfilled with her life Um, but you would often come home from school and there would be kids there from the refuge Uh, and she seemed to be able to show them vast amounts of love but for whatever reason she found it very difficult to show it to us
1: That must have been very tough
2: Yeah Yeah Um, It was I mean luckily we had a you know, a great dad who's very stable. and Mm, mm. um, But yeah, I remember, you know, little things like I came home from school one time and we had a family staying with us because their mum was really sick. And while they were staying with us, their mum passed away. And I remember walking into the kitchen and my mum had this little girl on her knee and she was hugging her and the little girl was crying. And I remember feeling jealous of the little girl. Like, imagine, because... My mom was cuddling her, like how ridiculous, you know. Her mom had just died. Um, but it's not ridiculous if well, you, you yeah, were not yeah. the
1: one being hugged, I suppose, on yeah. a, as a normal kind of a an experience in relationship with your mother. If you weren't getting that that attention, that love, of course, you'd be envious if you saw her, you know, demonstrating that yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I know objectively that she loved us, you know. I've mm-hmm. no, mm. but I, I think she just really, really struggled to show it and for some reason love felt too dangerous for her or something i don't i don't know it's really hard you know cuz you've got kids and mm-hmm. um, i've got kids
0: mm-hmm.
2: i find showing them love the easiest thing in the world i'm not saying i'm a perfect mother but you know cuddling them and yes. wanting to you know be affectionate it just seems to be completely natural yeah like yeah. i you know so it's 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 kind of hard to understand But, you know, it was probably more painful for her than it was for me, you know, which Mm. in the end turned out to be the case. So, yeah, yeah, I I feel nothing but kind of sympathy for her now over that. Like, I don't feel angry about it because I think it it must be just awful to not be able to show love to your kids. Uh, Funnily enough, though, she was um, great with her grandkids. Okay. Yeah. So my she would have met my two older children, and she was wonderful with them. Right. You know, very natural. But I suppose she just didn't have the responsibility of looking after us, maybe, or, you know, there was that one we were, you know, there, that one step removed from her. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she was a great nana, you know. And my sister's son Kai lived with them for quite a long time. Okay. And you know she was amazing with him. She was like you know almost a, a support mother. You know, um, uh, yeah, she was. She, so yeah, it's 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 a strange one. It's uh, yeah, you'd I'd probably need a lot. She she probably would have needed a lot of therapy to mm, untangle all yeah. of that. But that's something you know that she never that she never sought. So,
1: and and I suppose the reality is she's no longer here. So there's so many things that you can never get answers on and you can, you can try and decipher and try and understand and have a theory on, but you'll, Mm. I suppose you'll never know for sure. I'll
2: never know. And yeah, I regret not asking her, but I don't, I don't know if she would have spoken about it anyway. Like I feel there was very few moments where she was, was real, you know, or that she, um, that she showed any regret or self-awareness right you know there was a few times um like I remember lying in bed one night and she had I think she'd been on a bender or you know for a few days and I think I was living at home at the time I must have been living at home at the time maybe I'd come back after college or something and uh she came into my room and she said Anne I'm really sorry I'm going to try harder, you know. And it was it was a real moment of I could see that she, you know, a real moment of self awareness. But that that was quite rare, you know. Mm-hmm. She didn't a, a lot of the time she oh there probably was self awareness there, but she didn't she didn't show it to us. She didn't you know apologize or yeah. Um, but she's she's very troubled, you know. I, I and as I said, I feel nothing but
1: sympathy. sympathy
2: and love for her, you know, and for what she went through.
1: Which is, which is great for yeah. you because releasing yourself from that and, and letting go of it is, is obviously the best thing for you. But growing up, I was just curious to know whether it sounds like there you also did have awareness that, especially when you saw her interact with other people mm. or other kids, mm. where she was capable of showing, mm. demonstrating love in a way that she hadn't shown to you and your siblings. But all her upbringings become our norm because that's all we know. All we know growing up as kids is what we experience ourselves and it's mm. not until perhaps as we get older and we see other people or we go to other homes and we see how the parents mm. interact with their kids that we say all oh, right
0: that's mm. a bit different
1: to what mm. I'm experiencing at home or whatever and look no family's perfect we all have our own little idiosyncrasies and all the rest every family does but when did you start to realise oh wait a second she's a bit different from other mothers
2: mm. I don't know if I can really pinpoint it but I remember being on down in the playground and it was when we lived in the estate, Troyton Heights in Avon. So I can't have, and we moved out of there when I was about 10 or 11. So I think I must have been about eight or nine. And um, I remember saying something to a friend of mine about, oh, well, my mother is angry all the time or shouts or something, or she's, you know, and my friend saying, oh, well, you know, it's nothing like that in my house. Or I remember going, oh, that's weird. Like I thought, <laughs> I thought maybe all mothers were, you know, a bit angry and a bit sad and a bit, you know. So, I, yeah, it was probably, yeah, I would have been young. And yeah. then as you get older and I saw, especially as a teenager, and I'd see kind of the close relationship that my, you know, best girlfriends had with their mothers. Mm. Um. And I remember thinking, God, I'd give anything for that closeness, you know. And even though they fought with their mothers like cats and dogs, you know, Mm. um, you could still see that closeness, whereas there was just, there was a barrier. My mother had put up a barrier between us, between herself and all our kids, really. And um, so, yeah, like you say, it was a gradual thing, but I think it really hit home to me when I was a teenager. And even then when I went to, to university... You know, other mums would ring, you know, all the time. Or um, and even though this is pre-mobile phones now, so you'd have, you know, there'd be a, there'd be a, um, a phone box in the ha- in the shared hallway of the house you were living in. Yeah. And um, yeah, but their mums would ring all the time or check how they were doing. My mum never would. Yeah. You know, um, but I just just thought it was normal. You know, I just mm. well, I knew it wasn't normal, but it was my normal. It was your you normal, know, yeah. so yeah.
1: That must have put a lot of pressure on your dad, I suppose. To did he overcompensate then because of the lack?
2: Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's very affectionate. Yeah, he's very affectionate. But you know, he it was hard for him too. You know, his his wife she's sure. an alcoholic and depressed. So yeah, life you know was was no picnic for him. But mm. um, my dad's of that generation where he'd ne- you know they just this is your family you stick by them no matter what's going on you stay and um you know I'm so grateful he did like you know I don't know if I if I could stay with somebody like that I don't I think I would have been straight out the door but you know as far as he's concerned that was he had to stick around and yeah yeah, and he was great
1: (laughs) I know from what you've said at the beginning of the chat that you know you and Tommy are are really close and a great support for each other Uh, did you have that growing up or was it was it the unspoken we just don't we don't talk about the dynamic that we're experiencing Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it you know I'm just Mm -hmm. curious to know whether um, you did confide in each
2: other when you were younger no like I think I think the thing about and I'm sure a lot of people experience this but I think when you grow up where there's any sort of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you tend to almost withdraw into yourselves. I think you become really self-reliant and not in a good way. Like people would say to me, oh, you know, you're so independent. And even now, you know, friends might go, God, you're so independent and you don't seem to need help. Well, it's just that I'm scared to ask for it usually. And I think that's... (laughs) You know, probably an issue with a lot of people who grow up with with any sort of dysfunction like that. So, no, we wouldn't. I think it was only when we got older that we would go, God, that was a bit shit, wasn't it? Mm -mm. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, we would talk about it. And um, that's so healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, we have a very dark sense of humor about it as well, you know. Um, And, you know, I've got a younger sister as well. And. Um, you know, she's probably my best friend, and we right. go to a lot of dark places right. about <laughs> mum. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. just because it's—I don't know—I always it's a find way of coping, it. and I think well, it's it, totally. It, is, and it also, you know,
1: you know it is—it's very much an Irish thing as well. I think yeah. when we are faced with difficulty or tragedy or whatever it is. Humour is a great way of, of soothing ourselves through difficult times.
2: Absolutely, mm. yeah. So, um, yeah, but we're close now. But, yeah, I, I, as kids, I just don't think we would have had the, I guess, even the the awareness of our of what was happening to even talk about it, you know. It was yeah. just, we were all, I think we all kind of went into our own little, little private worlds in a way. Right. Um, and left home as soon as we could, mm-hmm. you know, Tommy was to off. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm making it sound like it was like the most awful childhood. No, no, you're not. not. And, you know, mum was, you know, we were very well taken care of physically by her. You know, yeah, God, yeah. you know, there was no, there was no neglect or anything like that. It's just, as I said, it was just this emotional cutting of herself off from us. So Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is extremely challenging because you know getting hot meals served up and, and you know a warm bed to, go to get into is, is, is really really important but the other stuff is too mm. Um, mm. and I suppose you know you're sitting here in front of me as a very calm a very calm woman who is a really I get the sense from you that you are very comfortable in your own skin and you're in a good place in your life and be able to reflect with compassion as well mm. on 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 difficult experiences. Mm.
2: Yeah, well, I've gained a lot of compassion for my mom and I think becoming a mom myself was a huge thing. Um I think yeah, it was hard. Like she'd four kids. She felt unfulfilled, she was depressed, she was an alcoholic like, you know, life she didn't have an easy childhood. I don't know much about it. I just feel like it was deeply unhappy.
0: Okay. Um
2: yeah, so I don't really, I could speculate on, on things that happened, but I don't really know, so I won't. But, um, yeah, she she was dealt a really hard and cruel hand, I think, by mm, life. So, yeah, mm. no, I have a lot of compassion for her. And, yeah, and yeah. I'm grateful to her, too, you know. Um, like, she gave me life. She brought me up, you know, as best she could. Well, you know, it wasn't great, <laughs> but she she tried, you mm, know. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and she gave me three lovely siblings and, you know, and so.
1: Yeah, yeah. It just shows you in such a good light, I suppose, as well to have such a lovely perspective and uh, an understanding of the pain that she must have been in, mm. you know. Mm. Um, so you left home when, mm. when, when there was an opportunity mm. to get out, you did. Mm. Uh, when did you move to New Zealand?
2: So that was in the early 2000s. Um, I was working in ACC Bank and um, I saw this gorgeous uh, Kiwi guy, um, blonde hair and blue eyed and golden skin. I thought, oh, he looks nice. So um, the classic Christmas party. I was going to say hook up, but you can't say hook up means something different now, doesn't it? (laughs) Like, I think in my day, hookup meant you just like had a chat. But no, yeah, it was yeah. um The classic Christmas <laughs> party. <laughs> Divulging too much that information too, here. <laughs> um, and um, so anyway, we were dating for a few months and he said, uh, listen, Darl, because, you know, that's what they say. <laughs> that's Kiwi speak. Listen, Darl, um, I have to leave because my visa's up and I'm going to do a bit of travelling around the world and then I'm going to go back to... New Zealand um, are you in now I had just bought myself this little flat in Chapel Izzard. I had just bought myself a little car yeah. um, and I thought oh you know it's just for a little while we'll travel for six months and then we'll go to I'll go on a, a one year working visa um, so I thought yeah grand so I rented out my, my flat and sold my car to fund my ticket and um, off we went and then a few months after arriving in Auckland, um, I started feeling a bit off, you know, it was like, just something, I don't know, like a, anyway, it took me a while to put two and two together that I was pregnant. Mm. I'd been on the pill, so it was an absolute curveball. Okay, yeah, right. Um, and <laughs> so we were both just so shocked. Um that we couldn't make any more decisions about what we were going to do so we just decided to stay and then here I, you know, there I am 18 years later still living there but it's funny, I think if you told me before I left that this is it, that I wasn't going to live here again, I wouldn't have gone. I'm really glad that Mm, I did. I mean, I'm, you know, because I'm, you know, so glad I've got this lovely husband and lovely kids. And, yeah. but yeah, I had no, I was such a homebird. There was no way. I mean, my friends all went on J1s to New York and I stayed behind in Dublin, you right. know, yes. so like I was a real homebird. Yeah. Never thought I'd leave. Um, cause, and I'm not very adventurous. I'm not very spontaneous. I don't know. um Yeah, I don't know what came over me, actually, that I just went, okay, to hell with it. I'll go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't know. Um, but I think, you know, that sometimes we make momentous decisions, don't we? And we, do, we have no idea how momentous they'll be when we make them. We think, ah, you know, and sure, they turn yeah. out to be quite life changing. So, um, but it's funny now, the older I get and the, the longer I'm away from Ireland, the more I miss it. Okay. You would have thought that it would work the other way around. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah so I don't know is it's just a function of getting older maybe um,
1: have you considered coming back
2: um, well I've said to Matt my husband um, look if we can afford it could we you know possibly buy mm. a little place here and I could spend but you know I'm going to have to sell a lot of books for that <laughs> <laughs> have to be JK Rowling I think to be able to afford that but that would be the dream that I would have yeah. a little place here and I could spend half the year there and half the year here I do love it there but I, I, I just yeah I think it's just the older I get and you get more nostalgic and you realize that people aren't going to be around forever mm. and yeah it, it, it becomes it becomes more difficult but um,
0: mm.
2: yeah But it's great over there. It's a lovely country. New Zealand's wonderful. People are wonderful. Um, I have
1: never been. It's on the list because I know anyone who has gone has just said it's spectacular. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. People are lovely. Um, Becoming a mother yourself then, obviously, you know, it wasn't the plan uh, to become a mother when you did. But there you are, you're pregnant, uh, baby on the way. Was that, I I would imagine it was, it was a, was I'm just guessing, a bit of a scary time simply because it wasn't planned?
2: Completely. I mean, I was in this strange country. Yeah. Um, no family around me. Mm. Now, Matt's family are incredible. But at the time, we were living in Auckland and they were in Turanga, which is where we, we live now, Okay. which is, a, you know, a few hours away. Um, we were the first... I'm a few years older than Matt. I'm four years older than him. So we were kind of the first out of all of his mates to even have a baby. I get Um So it, I was really lonely. Mm. I was really mm. lonely in Auckland. Um, I remember going out to um, a mother and baby group and um, being so excited because I thought that everybody was, you know, I'd make some friends and meet other mums. And and I'd been really struggling because Molly used to cry all the time. I like just cried and cried. And, um And I went to this mother and baby group and they did this big, you know, this introduction and they went around everybody saying, you know, so how are you finding it? Like it was, you know, the babies are all about six weeks old. How are you finding it? And every single person went, it's great. It's amazing. Mm. Oh, I love it. Oh, my baby's so good. And I thought, shit. And (laughs) And it came to me and I went what's great, it's so amazing, <laughs> my baby's so good. And inside I was thinking, no, it's not. It's And terrible. how many
1: other women were thinking exactly what well, you were thinking
2: also? You know, look, thinking back now, if I just had the guts to say, actually. I know, you know. I know but I, know. I didn't because, you know, I was young and I course, was, Of course, of course.
1: But hey, I mean, regardless of age, I think as well, you know, you feel pressure, especially if, if, you know, if it's happening like that and you're going around the room and if somebody doesn't break the the pattern of yeah. saying, well, actually, I'm finding this really hard. And, yeah. uh, but if one person broke the seal as it were, it would probably have that cascade effect. I know. But nobody was willing to do no, it. You no, know? we'd
2: all ended up sobbing, can you yeah. imagine? <laughs> yeah, I, Well,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, because, you know, anyone who has... You know, become a parent. It is. It is utterly life changing. Mm. I mean, at any age, but particularly, you're in a foreign land. You don't have pals around your Family. Mm. Uh, you're young. It's not planned. Like there's. A, that's there's a lot to contend with, mm. isn't there?
2: Mm. Oh yeah. When I like sometimes I look back now and think, how did I do mm. it? Mm. But I think we're all the same. We we get we go through things, and it's only afterwards. Afterwards, you're a bit traumatized by it. At the time, you go through it and go, okay. And then you take a breath and you look back and you go, God, that was actually really hard. Um, But you know, my husband's amazing, and he does have an amazing like he like his family. My God, you know, his mom used to drive up from Toronga every Tuesday and she'd spend the night and she'd do all my washing and she'd cook the dinner and she, you know, so she was a brilliant support. Um, But yeah, it was. It was tough. And then, of
1: course, there's the added layer of the fact that you had the relationship you had with your own mother and then you've become a mother yourself Mm. was like, did it bring it bring it back to you?
2: You know, I realized that I didn't have. I don't think I had the skills like I, I feel as though in some ways. Jill, who is my mother in law, taught me more about being a mother than my own mother did like Jill, just, you know, she's such a generous kind of warm and, you know, she found motherhood easy. You know, she's just one of those very loving people. So I think I probably, you know, if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't have known how to how to be a mum, really. Um, but yeah. I think Jill helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think, but I also think I, I suddenly realised You know, when I when I when I had my baby, I suddenly thought, wow, okay, so now I understand some of mum's frustrations and some of mum's unhappiness because I I wasn't unhappy and I I didn't get postnatal depression or anything. But Mm. like a lot of us, I went from being this independent, you know, working person, had bought my own flat, was, you know, thought I was the bee's knees, <laughs> and, mm. and then to being at home 24-7 with a baby. Um, but I think a lot of us go through that, don't we? Oh, we yeah, just go, yeah, God, yeah. like, what the hell, you know? The so, loss of identity. Yes, yeah. It's like you feel like your world has suddenly shrunk to to something minuscule, whereas it had been, you know, you had, it, it was broader before, it was more, yeah. So... Um, but yeah, is, that, that's a very common experience. And look, and I, I I was privileged. I got to stay at home for I was at home for 10 years, really, um, before I even started writing. So, you know, I had that time to be a full time mom. Mm-hmm. And um so I realise that's a very privileged position to be in as well. So I'm very conscious of, you know, not complaining about it. Because, no, not at you know, all.
1: But that's why I suppose this phase of your life, you know, is a really exciting one mm-hmm. because you're getting to to do what you want to do as well. And you're still a mother mm-hmm. and, and that, that's still happening. But you're able to now, you know, I suppose, indulge your passion as well and mm-hmm. explore that in mm-hmm. a way that you wouldn't have maybe had the time to do before. Let's be honest. Because I, I mean, I have two kids and, you know, it's it's busy and they're in childcare mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's busy. So, um, you know, I tip my hat to you. So you have, you have Molly and then three years later, you've Oscar.
2: Two and a half years later, okay. Oscar. And then, yeah.
1: And then a few years after that again?
2: Well, about not very well, a year and a half maybe after okay. that. Yeah. So I had at one stage... I had at one stage three under four, but that was only for a couple of weeks. But yeah, they were in uh, and only uh, only two of those were planned, Sheila. So. okay, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. So, um, yeah, Jack was the last one then. Yeah. So it's funny, actually, when I found out I, I was. I was gutted to find out I was pregnant with Jack. This is terrible. I hope he never listens to this. But, um, because I was coming home for Tommy's wedding. And it, okay. was about, it was about the day before we flew out. And I went, God, I'm not feeling great. <laughs> Yet again, you know, and uh, did the pregnancy test. Actually, went to the supermarket and bought a really nice bottle of wine and a pregnancy test. And stupidly, I took the pregnancy test before I had the really nice bottle of wine. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't have it. Couldn't enjoy the glass of wine. But uh, yeah, I was coming home for Tommy Nivone's wedding. No and I was way. Like, and I was like, oh, no. So yeah, I was I was the only sober person at that wedding, pushing around two kids in a buggy, and then oh, pregnant stop. with a third. Okay. But yeah, yeah. But anyway, God, look, Jack is an absolute delight. So I'm. It's funny though the way you, you know, just in the moment you you think really selfishly, like oh no, God. but no. When I look at that's completely yeah, normal. No, no, normal yeah, response. Yeah, normal yeah. response. Small <laughs> details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Yeah
1: So he's th- he's thirteen now, yeah. and very short. Shortly before he was actually born, mm. uh, you you know things happened. Mm-hmm. You got news that was dramatic to say the least. Mm. So can you bring us back to that time?
2: Yeah. So it was uh, a beautiful February morning in New Zealand, uh, middle of summer, and uh, Matt said to me, "Okay, I'm going to." You know, I was sorry it was full term um, I think my due date was was the following day um, and Matt said right I'm going to bring the older kids out for a walk just to give you a bit of a rest so I thought great so I lay down in the bed and Matt went out and then about five minutes later I hear him come back in again I went oh Jesus I, I was really looking forward to having a, a break uh, but he came up the stairs and I knew something was wrong, you know, and he just he just sat me down. And he's, and so what had happened was dad had rung him because right. dad was very aware that I shouldn't get the news um, that mom had taken her own life mm. and that I shouldn't get that news while I was, you know, by myself. Mm. So uh, he told me and immediately I had this most intense um Physical reaction, like I, I, obviously it was shock or adrenaline or some kind of fight or flight um, reaction. But my whole body started shaking uncontrollably, Um, and I talked to my midwife, and she said, "No, Anne, it's grand. You won't go into labour now. I'm sure of it. Women's bodies are amazing. Uh, You'll keep your little baby cocooned inside you because we're, you know, um, just to keep your baby cocooned in safety. And I'm sure you won't go into labour. Well." my body decided, no, I'm going to go into labour. Mm. Now, added to this, not only had my mum just died and I was in labour, but we had actually planned a home birth for our third child, um, which makes me sound like a bit of a hippie. I'm not at all. I'm just. But you know what? I had two. The first birth, there was quite a lot with Molly. There's a lot of intervention. I had an epidural and that ended up with fontouse and forceps and an episiotomy and then the okay. second with Oscar again um he ended up with an episiotomy and so I thought okay well I'm gonna have a home birth mm. this time mm. and um just you know I, I feel like I can do it at home yeah. and um so we had filled up we started to fill up the the birthing pool and I mean all this was going on in my head as well that my mum had just died but I think I was really focused on on giving birth <laughs> Um, and then there's a, a huge earthquake in Chile, I think, around the, the same day. And we were living by the ocean at the time. And my midwife rang and said she knew I was in labor and said, look, and I just think there's a chance that we might ha- you might have to evacuate halfway through because there's a big tsunami warning. Whoa, <laughs> um, okay. So come to the hospital. Uh, so anyway, the, all the all the lovely plans to have a, a beautiful home birth in a pool went out the window. Um, so I arrived at the hospital and my uh, the midwife pulled my husband aside and said, um, now, look, and he, he only told me this afterwards. But she said, look, this is going to be this might be a really traumatic birth. Um, uh, so, you know, a lot of Anne's emotions might come out and just uh, you need to steel yourself um, so she was like, oh, okay, right. Um, but it was a really calm birth. Like, mm. it's so strange. It was, I I think deep in transition, I had this weird hallucination that I was about to, I don't know, it was like some kind of circle of life thing that I was going to give birth to this little petite um, girl, um, like my mom. you know. Um wow, right. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I mean, I was obviously, you know... The, deep in that transition course, stage or you're not yeah. even. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like Elton John would be sitting in the corner singing, <laughs> <laughs> holding the baby aloft. And it was, it was so weird. Um, so <gasps> oh. I, I um, anyway, yeah, that was all fine. Gave birth to Jack. And um, so really uh, just did not... <sighs> process my mum's death at all. Like I watched her funeral. And this is an experience that obviously a lot of people would have had mm. um during COVID, but had to watch the funeral mm. on my laptop. Um, it was almost like I was getting up to watch Ireland play New Zealand or something in the rugby. Like getting up yeah, in the middle surreal. of the night, um, had my baby in one hand, had a glass of wine in the other. I was looking at the screen and I could see all my friends and family. In their winter coats and I was roasting. I was having this postpartum night sweat and um, I just felt very removed from it. Um, And then I went home a few weeks later and I thought then, okay, I'll go home now and I'll grieve. It'll all hit me. Mm. And my sister said, oh, yeah, you're just going to collapse. You'll arrive in Dublin airport and you'll fall on the floor and I have to pick you up. You'll be sobbing and nothing. I arrived home, went to visit her grave. Nothing. Just stood there. And it was really poignant because, you know, before they put the headstone on, you just have this little wooden cross on the grave. And um but I stood there and I looked and my old history teacher was buried on one side. And then there was a beautiful monument down the end shaped like a teddy bear, which is, you know, a little baby had passed away. And I felt more looking at those than, mm. you know, my and, you know, the fact that I was standing at my own mother's grave and mm. um, came back to New Zealand. You know, I had three kids under five. I didn't. There was a lot, not a lot of time for reflection. Yeah, I, sure. suppose. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did a lot of reading. And um, I thought, you know, that's I think that maybe that's what writers do. You know, we we try to understand something and we, we read about it. Um I read amazing books about suicide um, just to try and understand mm. what mum had done and try to make myself feel something. Nothing. I just still felt completely removed. And, th- you know, we're talking a few years later now at this stage. OK,
1: so it's it, is it numbness then?
2: Complete numbness. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, first of all, there was the geographical distance from my mum, but also the emotional distance, mm, um, mm. you know, which contributed to that. And, um, and also... You know, this is gonna sound terrible, but in some respects, with her death came some relief. And I know it's that's a really hard thing to understand, but it's almost like I'd been holding my breath. we'd all been holding our breath our whole lives and now, look, the worst has happened.
1: Okay, were you were you did you think that someday something like that might happen?
2: I don't know if I knew that she would take her own life right. But I knew it wasn't gonna end well there okay. was no I like you know myself and my sister would often go like what if dad goes first like right. we are like we would have those conversations okay. like what the hell is you know um so yeah there was relief not because she was dead but just because no, I, get that. I get just that. because we knew how it was gonna end I'm really conscious when I say that that um you know it, it If I'd lost a child to suicide or a sibling or there's no way relief would have ever been a part of my response. So I'm really, I mean, I just think that would be just the most devastating thing in the world. But I just think with mum and the situation and yeah, the fact that our whole lives felt, felt as we knew, we always knew it wasn't going to end well.
1: I was just curious to know about your, your dad and siblings, and I know you can't speak for them. Mm. But was their response to her passing different to yours?
2: Well, I think for my, for Tommy and my sister Neve, I think no. I think because they, I mean, I think they would have felt some of the emotions that I felt. But I think the fact that they were here in Ireland and went through the funeral process and saw her in her coffin and you know saw her laid out and all that I think that would have helped them but I randomly have a younger brother who also lives in New Zealand so he oh, okay. also he was actually with me um uh, he came to stay with me he lives in Christchurch so it's still it's quite a quite a distance from where I live mm. um but I think we probably share a similar sort of you know n- numbness around it um mm. Or did anyway? Yeah, I just I think, yeah, I, I'm sure there are some of the same emotions for for Tom and Neve, um, around, you know, no, you know, the worst has happened now, and I, I think that's something that we we probably all share. My dad, I think, yeah, my dad, I think he kind of was in denial for a long time. You know, I think, I think poor dad, like I think he it was almost I think he'd almost. Been traumatized, um, and he was the one who found her, and mm. yeah, so it would have been a much more, you know, painful experience for him. If it's
1: not too personal to ask, did she did she leave a note or
2: no, no? So there okay. had to be there had to be an inquest, which didn't happen for quite a few months. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, but did no. you ever
1: find anything from her? After the fact that gave some sort of explanation to any of it?
2: Well, Dad did say that the night before she died um, that she did, she made some comment. It was along the lines of, um, oh, I can't believe it's come to this. Or it was something very okay. self-aware. It was something mm. very telling. It was, you know, almost like self-hatred in a way. Like, I can't believe this okay. is what I am or this is... So, to me, that's a very telling yeah. statement that she yeah. made. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So, for years afterwards, there was a feeling of, of, of nothingness, of numbness, mm-hmm. of detachment. When when did things change or how did you go from... from the nothingness to, I suppose, to a place that you're at now, which is understanding, compassion and, um, you know, you're not holding on to anger, bitterness. It feels like you're very much at peace with what was.
2: Mm.
1: So w- when did that start to change?
2: When I started to write. Yeah. Um, You know, I think writing, it's almost like a form of therapy and mm. um, cheaper than therapy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the first, um, I started off writing a few little articles and the first article I wrote actually, um, well, one of the first that I wrote was about mum and it was, um, published in, in, uh, Canvas magazine in New Zealand and it was, uh, it was published on Mother's Day and it was all about kind of finding, you know, a good memory about my mum and, um, it was all about baking with my mum. Like I have, that was the only time that we had any sort of closeness between us. Like she loved right, to bake. Okay. She's a great baker and um, she's a terrible cook. Okay. <laughs> God. I oh God, some of the things oh awful. Um Why? La, la, what was a cla- what well, was a classic dinner a, a she a made? Classic would be <laughs> lasagna with no sauce. Like, right. Oh you know? right, okay. <laughs> just okay. rock hard sheets of lasagna with mince in between and she Yeah, it was okay. just um okay. She's not not a good cook um, <laughs> but she'd a real sweet tooth you know right. so and I think she loved to bake so she used to make the most amazing cakes and baked Alaskas and apple tarts Yum. and mm. and I used to love baking with her and that was kind of the one time we were quite close um so I, I wrote I wrote a piece on that and then I, I wrote a few other little articles and um and and then uh, and I had some, you know, success with getting things published. And then I went through a period of um, nothing I wrote was published. Everything was rejected. It was just uh, every, I was sending off things into this big void. And I thought, OK, well, instead of all these little articles and little pieces and little short stories that are getting rejected, why don't I just spend a couple of years writing a book and have that rejected instead? <laughs> it's more, you know, yeah. felt more noble. Um, so I spent a couple of years writing and I, I had I just started off with an image of a woman in a coma shes I think I said this to you at the beginning She's mm. surrounded by her three children and within that um, scenario there was a lot of ambivalence and conflict now I had no idea how she was going to become to be in a coma I had no idea of plot or character or and as I said Tommy just said "Looks, you know sit down give it a go see what happens mm. so I started to write and page one Joy, my main character, turns up with a bottle of g- vodka and a gun in front of her. And I went, oh, OK, right. <laughs> this is what it's going to be about. It's going to mm. be about an alcoholic who takes her own life. <laughs> and, you know, if you'd said to me. Um, you know, would you like to write a book about suicide or, uh, mm, you know, mm. I would have said, God, no, that's the last thing I want to write. But anyway, I just went with it and. Um, yeah I I, um, I gave joy a very different narrative to my mother's right. um, deliberately mm. um, but still I you know there's a lot of maybe the feeling that the, the siblings had and that joy that joy had. Um, so it was um, a, it was a painful process because I, I had to put myself, you know, I, I originally intended that Joy would be quite an unsympathetic character and I intended that it would be more about her children and, you know, and more about their lives. But the more I wrote, the more I came to love the character of Joy and the more I came to try and understand her. And I I, I started to really, I put my, tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody who feels suicidal and it's a really dark place to go. And like that's without even really understanding what they're going through. Um, But I, uh, yeah, because to try and imagine, um, you know, that feeling that the world would be better off without you or that the people you love would be better off without you because that's what they really believe. You know, Mm. when I hear somebody saying to me, Oh, suicide is so selfish. I just think, no, it's the most selfless thing in the world. Like, mum would have thought she was doing us a favor. Mm-hmm. You know, she would have thought she was doing everybody a favor. Like, that's honestly how people feel. So, anyway, I the more I wrote the book, the more I got into the character of Joy, the more I loved her, the more empathetic I made her. Um, and it was painful, but you know, by the end of the book, um, I found that I had gone through a lot of the same process that my characters had gone through because they go from anger and numbness and right through to acceptance and and finding a bit of peace. So it was really cathartic.
0: Yes. And, you
2: know, I even found when I wrote the last few chapters, I I really slowed the pace down because I... um, I don't know I just I think I'd come to a place of sort of acceptance and peace myself and I think that comes through in the last few chapters and even now when I reread them and trust me when I say I've read them a million times to the point of you know wanting to vomit if I read my own (laughs) words one more time but I actually feel that sense of uh, acceptance again so Mm. that yeah it was a really it was a I'm so glad I wrote it and I'm yeah. so glad that Joy was the person she was, and I'm so glad I went down that route because um I think it really was like two years of therapy for me, you yes. know. The whole writing process.
1: And and look, we all know anyone listening who's been through grief and whatever form that takes, you know, it doesn't have a beginning, middle and end. Mm. And it can catch out of the blue on a on, on a day and a moment completely unexpectedly and mm. you can feel a certain way and and wonder where the hell did that come from. Mm. Um but through through the writing of it, you know, you speak of how Joy wasn't you in your mind wasn't a sympathetic character initially, mm. and how you grew to love her. And mm. it does seem like what you're actually saying is how you grew to to love your own mum mm. as well.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like I I you know, I, even though I do, I did give them both very different narratives that there, there's, you know, a lot of similarities mm-hmm. there and there's, you know, and um, yeah, I, I, yeah, through joy, I came to, yeah, have more understanding and more love for, for my, for my own mum, you know, mm-hmm. so it's quite a, I'm really grateful to her. I'm really grateful to my characters, you know, they, um, they helped me a lot.
1: And speaking so openly about, about your experience, it is liberating, isn't it? Because every mm-hmm. one of us have, we all have our own stuff, you know, and there are degrees of that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may not have experienced challenge so far in their lives, they might have experienced loads. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you own your own experience and you speak from the heart and you, you speak without sanitizing your experience mm. i suppose or, mm. or feeling like oh, i must say this because of how somebody else might receive the news it's it's a powerful thing and i think when you do that you give yourself permission to own your experience and then others to own theirs mm. you know whatever it is um i think speaking about suicide is very difficult mm. uh, because it's it's one of those unspoken in society we just we're uncomfortable to talk mm. about it
2: oh sure i mean sometimes I feel I have to protect the people I talk to about. If somebody says to me, so I had this experience on the plane recently where I got talking to this Canadian woman and we're having a great chat. And I don't know, for some reason, we started talking about our mothers. And um, she said, I told her that mum, you know, had died 13 years ago. And she said, oh, how did she die? Was it cancer? And I said, "Um, no, it was suicide. And you can see people, people, you know, it's a brutal act and people feel very shocked by it. And um, so you sometimes feel you need to protect them. Like say, look, OK, before I tell you this, this is how she okay. died, you yeah. know. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I want to be, I, there is a certain amount of shame attached mm, to it. Mm. I mean, not so much anymore. I think, you know, uh, you know, generations younger than than my own, you um, wouldn't have that same level of shame around it but it's certainly for my dad's generation and um, it's almost like you know, if somebody in your family takes their own life it must mean that your family wasn't very good or, you know, it's that feeling that, well...
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying in your parents' generation and mine I suppose there was that thing of you you put on the brave face Mm -hmm. and maybe from what you've said about your mother in the past that outside of the house was she it sounds like she could have? She could be a chameleon if she wanted to be. In, oh, a,
2: totally. People would know. Ne- you know, um, people would have had no idea how she struggled. Mm. You know, the women mm. that she, um, the women that she worked with, with in the refuge. You know, they would have had no idea, um, even that she drank probably. Right. Yeah. You know, she was a, a secret alcoholic, and um, uh, yeah, so. You'd see her with other people and be full of the joys of life and um, mm. happy and laughing. And she she'd great friends, people who loved her because she was a funny, intelligent person, you know. But nobody really knew how she, how she only us, we, we knew how she struggled and how unhappy she was. But yeah, mm. um, yeah, it's mad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What has the response to the book been like amongst, you know, friends and family and those who know you the most?
2: Um, Well, nothing but positive stuff. I've given it to my dad to read. I'm I'm quite curious to, because I gave it to him a couple of days ago when I was leaving Navin. And, uh, you know, I said, here you go. And he goes, oh, God, I'm almost afraid to read it. Like, so I think he probably has a bit of, um, you know, nerves about it that maybe there'll be, too much exposure or something but you know it's not an autobiography and the characters are all very different from from our family but um, now everybody like I've had a great you know my sister loves it Tommy loves it you know so yeah I've had a great response from friends and family so Delighted to hear it yes and congratulations Thank
1: you Uh, So what's next? Is there another book in the cards?
2: Yes Uh, I hope my editors are not listening. But yeah, there's (laughs) another one which I'm struggling with a little bit. But um, yeah, I've got a two book contract. So, um, but it's it's mad. It's mental because the first one you write, you know, at home, um, nobody knows about it. Um, There's no time pressure. There's no expectation. There's no deadline. Mm. Uh, And book number two, there's a deadline, there's expectations and, you know, but I am... I was having a bit of a wobble about it, you know, uh, to my husband a few days ago. I think it was the jet lag and um, I rang him and said, oh, my God, God." he said, look, you've just got to put that out of your head for um, for a few days. Just enjoy, you know, the first book and, you know, the publicity around that. um, So don't. God, I've got to try and forget about book number two. When I, when I go back advice. to New Zealand, I'll... Um, Plenty of time. Plenty well, of time for that. there isn't, Sheila, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told. Um, but uh, but look, it's a dream come true. I'm not... Um, I'm so fortunate. If you told my little eight-year-old self who used to save up her pocket money to go into Eason's and yeah. buy the latest Anne of Green Gables uh, book that I would one day have you know, published book and, you yeah. know, I would have just fainted, dreams, yeah. fainted with happiness. So it's it's amazing. I'm so grateful.
1: Brilliant. Good on you. But I mean, you, you. I know you're grateful, but you had to do the work and you did it. Um, and it's great that you had people in your corner, like, like your family, like yeah. friends saying, go for it, do yeah, it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so grateful to my husband who never... Yeah. kind of said, go on, Anne, will you go and get yourself a proper job now? Stop sitting at home all day pretending you're doing something. <laughs> so he's been so supportive mm. and um, brilliant. So, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah.
1: So while you're home, um, well, I know home is New Zealand, but, you know. Uh, two homes. Two, two homes, are, two yeah. Two homes, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it's, it's funny being an emigrant. Um, on a good day, you feel like you have two homes. And then on a bad day, you feel as though you don't belong in either of them. Thankfully, there there are more good days than bad days. Mm. But I think it's something that never leaves you. You know, you never. I saw somebody describe it once as um, being a it's, you know, being a bit like a swallow's tail, you know, with with party missing in the middle. But it's almost like, you know, you live your first like I was here till I was 30. So I live my first 30 years here. And then there's like this massive landslide or earthquake in your life. And then now I'm. In New Zealand for eighteen years, and it's almost like the two parts of your life don't don't quite join up. It's like there's this big kind of you know split in the middle with no continuity, and um, so it can be hard. It's brilliant, but also yeah, it can, it, it's yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a funny sort of a thing.
1: You got to work on the on the summer house, so.
2: No, please buy the book. <laughs>
1: buy lots of books. <laughs> we'll be flat out by the book. Uh no, it's it's fantastic and it's been such I mean, excuse the pun, but it has been such a joy uh, to speak to you. Um. I know I d I didn't actually I didn't actually mean to do that. Uh, but it has been really has been so good uh to talk to. You. Um you know, it's it's not easy to have the kind of conversation that you've just had with me. No, you um, made it
2: easy. It's been lovely. So, well, yeah.
1: I'm extremely grateful for your openness and I know that it'll help a lot of people who listen. And And I think conversations like this one, you know, they deepen our, our, our understanding of, of other people's pain. and And if it can help us be better people and have a bit more compassion that not all is rosy in the garden and we never really know what's going on in people's lives or behind closed doors and a lot of people are walking around with a lot of demons in them I suppose really and navigating that and having having compassion and also still owning your own experience within it I think it's it's just I'm I'm happy for you that you're in such a great place now and I'm sure it hasn't been easy to get to where you're at right now but this is an exciting phase in your life your first book is on shelves next one around the corner and uh, who knows you know where you'll be in, in 10 years time yes. so I'm excited for you and yeah. extremely grateful Aww. and it was just lovely to meet you so Aww, thank you
2: Sheila it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you so much for having me it's been lovely
1: Anne's novel The Last Days of Joy is available to buy in all good bookshops and if you like this episode please let your friends or family know about it or you can share it on your social media platforms and you can support what I do in all the usual ways by clicking follow giving a rating or leaving a little comment Thank you so much You've been listening to Ready to be Real And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit
0: ebay.com for terms. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.